Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, July 27th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's financial show, we're going to dig into Warren Buffett's Bank of America crush. We've got a couple of earnings reports to get to with American Express and Ameris Bancor. Uh, we've got a couple of stocks that we're watching this coming week. Joining me, as always, it's the certified financial planner. He's, he's a year older, he's a year wiser. It's Mr. Matt Frankel. <laughs> Matt, how's everything going? Oh, not too bad from your, your friend down here who's still in his late 30s. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> It's a nice How's luxury everything to have. Uh, everything's good. Everything's good. We're, uh, you know, just 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 keeping busy. I mean, it, it does seem like, uh, you know, it does seem like life is getting back to to normal somewhat. I mean, you know, people you know, wearing masks and be a little, being a little bit more thoughtful of of uh, space and whatnot. But you can go do a lot of stuff. It seems like people up here generally doing okay. Um, school is going to be starting out virtually uh, for, for for at least the fall semester. But, you know, I mean, that's, maybe that's the right decision. I don't know. I guess, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. But uh, everybody's at least he- healthy and happy. How about y'all? Yeah, same here. I mean, we, our, our daycare, we actually never lost daycare, which we're, we're a big rarity. Um, my, my kids go to a daycare that's run by the hospital that my wife works at, so they were ah, never even able to close. Nice. Um, so the school thing, fortunately for us, is, is not really a, an issue to worry about, but I know here they're they're giving parents an option of in person or online. Yeah, yeah, they did. They they actually Fairfax County in in Virginia here is a very very large county, and they, and they let all of us vote. They let parents vote. Would you want to do like an abbreviated being at school a couple of days a week, or just do all virtual? Um, and it you know with a, close to two hundred thousand respondents, it came down. It was sixty percent voted for at least some physical time at school. Forty percent voted for just nothing but virtual. And when I saw those results, I thought, you know what? I think that's probably a little bit tighter than they were hoping it would be. I think they were hoping for like a seventy-five percent one way or the other. Uh, so they actually went, you know, a little bit against that decision, and then they decided to start things off virtually at least, and, and figuring that you know you can slowly work our way back into it if the conditions improve so uh you know we'll, we'll see we'll see they're uh you know interesting times to say the least interesting times for berkshire hathaway too matt uh you know big headline last week and you you even wrote an article about this warren buffett you, the title of the article warren buffett just spent another 800 million dollars on this bank stock you know, tell us what bank stock and why. What's going on here, Matt? Well, I got to, I mean, as a journalist, we, you know, want the headline to draw readers in. But $800 million actually isn't that big for Berkshire Standards in um, in the context of this bank stock. It is Bank of not. America. Um, bank of America, ticker symbol is BAC for anyone watching at home, um, is Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway's largest bank stock holding by a large margin, especially now. Um, so what Buffett did, they spent about, they bought about 34 million shares for an average price of just under $24 a share. Uh, they did this last week so that if you do the math, that works out to about $800 million they, they invested. Um, this brought their stake in Bank of America up to 11.3% of the bank. Um, 
to be clear, the only reason we know about this is because they're over that crucial 10% threshold. Um, for example, if Buffett bought more of, say, Goldman Sachs right now, we wouldn't know. Um, so, so over t- over 10%, they have to announce that. Like, that's a regulatory yeah, it's, filing it's, that has to it's be. It's a regulatory thing that they have to, you know, let us know right away. And um, you know, so that that's why we know about it. But anyway, the effect of it was it brought the stake up to 11.3%. It was over 10% already. So this wasn't a giant jump in ownership. But it is. it does show that they're putting money to work and that they still believe very much in Bank of America. Um, it, that's a big stake. It's worth about $24 billion right now. It's their second largest investment of any kind. Uh, a distant second, I should say. The Apple investment is just huge. Right. Um, but other than Apple, Bank of America's Berkshire Hathaway's largest stock position and so an investment that big, I would have to believe that Buffett himself is behind it, not one of the other stock pickers. Yeah, you'd figure. And I guess that was that was going to be one of my questions, given that this is such a large holding for him. And I mean, he's got this this you know portfolio of a lot of companies that he's held in there for a long period of time, and Coca Cola, American Express, Wells Fargo, and. Um, I mean, Wells Fargo obviously has been plagued with its with its problems here. But you know, you look at Bank of America and how these how these banks have come out of this earnings season. Certainly, Bank of America strikes me as one that is not only doing well, but the market I think is giving it a little bit of credit there. I mean, it's 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 a stock that is trading you know, nicely above its its tangible book value in, in, in an environment where you're seeing a lot of banks right now that are that are, you know, not necessarily witnessing that same that same good fortune. Sure. Well I mean well one, it's it's still important to mention that it's way off the highs of the year. Right. Um I mean most banks are not not only is um the low interest rate environment really not conducive to profitability in banks, but I mean, banks, including Bank of America, all all the big banks are setting aside billions of dollars in anticipation of loan losses. Um, we just the the enhanced unemployment benefit just ran out, and unemployment's still in the double digits in America. So that the combination of that could make a tough second half of the year for banks. But it, at the same time, that that mindset is driving the stocks down and creating long term value for patient investors, which Buffett certainly is one of them. Oh yeah, 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 and I mean, it, you know, and we'll, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into uh, Ameris, um, Ameris's most recent quarter. But you know, it, it's also we won't we won't neglect the possibilities and likelihoods of consolidation out there. I mean, there will be some more acquisitions here. But you have to figure that, you know, some of these banks that are out there trading at, at, at you know, below tangible book value, you start start looking like some attractive investments out there. And, and certainly, Ameris may mention that on their call. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, like when you when you look at Berkshire Hathaway going forward, I mean, it, it, it we've we've talked a lot about this over the last several years. It's just always seemed kind of odd that Buffett has been so clearly okay with Wells Fargo to date and what Wells Fargo has been doing, even though it doesn't really doesn't really feel like Wells Fargo has been doing a very good job. I mean. Do you feel like I mean it seems like maybe Bank of America is, is taking that taking over that position as as maybe the 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 bank that Berkshire Hathaway wants to be wants to be best known uh you know in in cahoots with so to speak. Yeah, and uh, but I mean it's, it's still worth mentioning that Berkshire combined with Warren Buffett personally cuz he owns some Wells Fargo in his personal stock portfolio. 
um, owns just under 10% of Wells Fargo. So that's it. I wouldn't completely say that Buffett's lost faith in Wells Fargo, but it it's it definitely seems that Bank of America has become his favorite bank stock. It's worth mentioning that I, I, I said earlier that the reason we know that he just bought a lot of Bank of America is because of the 10% thing. Um, so if you look at some of the other bank stocks in, in Berkshire's portfolio, the, the stakes are a lot less than 10%. Like, for, um, for example, Berkshire owns 1.9% uh, of JP Morgan Chase, 2.2% uh, of PNC Bank. So this isn't to say that Bank of America is the only bank stock that Buffett's buying. And in the past, when he's been buying one, he's been buying the other ones as well. Mm -hmm. um, a few quarters ago, I think he bought something like 10 different bank stocks. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that he spent a lot of money on to increase the JP Morgan stake, increase the PNC stake. Maybe um, maybe he bought some, some more Wells Fargo because um, he had sold some. Now it's cheaper. Maybe he bought a little more. I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that, that Berkshire's finally – starting to deploy some capital. If you remember last quarter, um, investors were kind of disappointed when we got the earnings results that Berkshire was a net seller of stocks during the first quarter. Yep. And it kind of makes sense if you think about Buffett's mentality. At the end of the third, I mean, for the most part, January and February were pretty normal months in, in terms of the economy and the stock market. I mean, the, the all-time highs were reached in February. Right. So... March was really the the big opportunity, I guess, quote unquote, when we saw the the market kind of plunge. And but at the end of the third, the first quarter, at the end of March, it was still pretty chaotic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the CARES Act hadn't been passed yet, or hadn't been signed into law yet, or totally implemented yet. I can't remember which. Um, but you know, the stimulus checks didn't start going out till April, so we really didn't have clarity as to where the economy was going and how bad the pandemic was going to get by the end of the first quarter. Buffett hates investing into panics. Yeah. He likes in investing after the panic has already kind of happened and the market's <laughs> down. I mean, well, I mean, we're talking about Bank of America. That was That's considered one of his best financial crisis era investments. Yeah. That wasn't made till 2011. Yep. So, I mean, he, he didn't invest in Bank of America during the 08 panic when, when he could have got it even cheaper. He waited till the dust settled. He found a good value and he invested. So maybe that's what's happening now. And Buffett's finally just kind of now that things have kind of stabilized. I guess you'd say, especially compared to March. Yeah, um, we're seeing Buffett put a little bit more money in. One more thing before we we move on to American Express. I'm just wondering your opinion opinion on this, given given the the status of Bank of America and Brooker's uh, world today. How much How much do you think that is due to Brian Moynihan? I mean, as the CEO of Bank of America, you know, he's been there for a while now, clearly knows what he's doing. Wells Fargo, it's the other side of the coin, right? Just managerial crisis. And hopefully, uh, Mr. Sharp is able to get that uh, under control there. But but clearly, you know, it, it seems like Buffett's making his, making his choice here. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no argument you could make where Moynihan's done a bad job at Bank of America. Um, I mean, I'd rank him in the top two big bank CEOs, Jamie Dimon being, you know, th those could go either way. Yeah. But given what Moynihan was dealt, the hand he was dealt after the financial crisis, yeah. um, the improvement in Bank of America in terms of efficiency, in terms of asset quality, in terms of getting rid of non-core assets has just been incredible. I mean, it 
before this, before the pandemic started, um, Bank of America's profit numbers were something you would have considered crazy a few years ago. Like if I had told you they would be producing a double-digit return on equity, um, if, if I had told you that right after the financial crisis, you would have told me I was nuts. Um, <laughs> and they were do- they had been doing it for several years before the pandemic started because of Brian Moynihan's just you know focus on efficiency and closing underperforming branches and embracing yep. technology. Bank of America's won a ton of technology awards. For, you, we talk about Square and PayPal and fintechs like that. Bank of America's technology is, you know, the, the the recognition they've gotten for their technology has been just on par with any of the fintechs. And a lot of people don't realize that. So um, that's been a big part of their efficiency. So they've done a great job of just all around. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does feel like that. I mean, yeah, you make a, re- a great point there. He was dealt a really, really difficult situation. So, I mean, if anything, maybe for Wells Fargo uh, shareholders, you know, Bank of America is proof that it, it can be done. I mean, we were we were given Bank of America a hard time several years ago. So to see that, uh, you know, those those turntables have turned, <laughs> as Michael Scott might say. Um, you know, you never know. You, you, maybe, maybe there will be better days ahead for Wells Fargo. Um, let's take a look at another one of your favorite companies out there. I know you like this company a lot. We've talked about it before as being, you know, potentially in addition to a war on cash part. Duh. Uh, but right now, it's still on the outside looking in. American Express earnings, um, not the greatest year so far for the company. Certainly understandable. I mean, it is a bank after all, too. Uh, but what stood out to you in the in the quarter? Well, first, let me just go over kind of the gloom and doom numbers of the situation. Um, profits were down 85% year over year, which, I mean, I was actually impressed they were still profitable. A lot of banks weren't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, re- yeah. Revenue dropped 29%. Uh, people just weren't, I mean, what you know, American Express's uh, slogan, you know, never leave home without it. <laughs> well, people couldn't leave home at all, so they couldn't really yeah. do a whole lot with their with their credit cards. It's a very um, good point. <laughs> when you think about, I mean, do you have an American Express card, Jason? I do. I am a proud card member. I guess they would say for I don't know, probably fifteen years now or something. So, so you understand that most of their perks are travel oriented. Yes, yes, I do. Um, and and no one was traveling in, in the first half of this year for the most part. No, we were um, not. But American Express, what stood out to me, and this isn't really part of the earnings report. I'll get to more of the the gloom and doom numbers in a second. But American Express really, to me, just did a great job pivoting. Um, when you think of, like, you know, a lot of credit card companies gave people, you know, an extra percent back in rewards on groceries or something like that for yeah. for the for the pandemic. American Express really pivoted their benefits entirely. Like I, my American Express card, I now get a, a twenty dollars statement credit for having my streaming services billed to the card. Nice. Um, a twenty dollars mo- monthly statement credit for having my mobile phone bill billed to the card. Wow. Um, and that's on top of the other benefits that I. And the, the rationale with that is because I wasn't able to use my travel benefits, so they gave me something. Um, my, my business Amex. I have a, the business uh, version of the Delta card. Give it, gave everybody a $75 loyalty credit, just a statement credit for 75 bucks out of the blue. Nice. Um, so they're doing a great job of customer retention. I, I have to believe that a lot of people canceled credit cards during the pandemic, especially ones with annual fees. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can't go out and use the benefits, what's the point of paying a fee for it? Um, so they point. did a great job. I think you're going to see great con- consumer retention numbers. Um, but year over year, their credit card balances are down 36%. 
at the end of the second quarter. That's a pretty big drive, and that's balances. That's not just activity. Yeah, that, that's and because you remember American Express is at its heart primarily a charge card company, not a carry a balance credit card. Um, I know. I mean, my, the the Amex Platinum is a charge card. You pay your balance every month for the most part. Um, there are some pay pay as you go options, but so that's really hit them in terms of outstanding balances and and things like that. Um, American Express built up a they built their loss reserves by almost six hundred thirty million dollars. Wow! During the quarter, but when you look a little deeper, that assumes those that loss build is is or the reserve build is assuming about a ten percent unemployment rate at the end of this year. Yeah, which I think might be a little of a stretch. It's assuming a 1.7% GDP drop in the fourth quarter of this year. Yeah, I don't know. Which most experts are expecting the economy to rebound, especially by the fourth quarter, if not in, yeah. the, thir- in the third. So the point is that, that, that that's a loss reserve. That's not based on actual losses that they've had. And that's reflected in their profitability numbers. So... If, and we saw this at the end of the financial crisis. Some banks overestimated their losses, and eventually they released those reserves, and they get counted back as earnings in, in, yeah. in the end. So it's, this isn't necessarily lost money. We still have to see how this play, it plays out. The banks, are, including Amex, are being cautious. Um, like I said, they've done a great job of cutting costs. Um, the stock's still down over 20% year-to-date. I've been a shareholder of Amex since before I was a cardholder of Amex. Um it was one of the first stocks I bought, um, and, and I still hold it, and I, I think it's a good good value. And I think the, the company is one of the the most overlooked fintechs. I, you know, market. I tend I tend to agree with you on the. It does seem like it's overlooked in the sense that people think it's just sort of an old school um, type of company in, in in some ways, but but it absolutely has one of the strongest brands out there that I can really think of and in you know i mean I, I don't know maybe it's not their secret sauce but it's certainly something that really separates them is th- their focus on the customer experience and customer service is really really strong i mean it is one of those things that's a noticeable difference um i mean they just have a different level it seems like of customer service and maybe that is something that keeps people with them even if they're not spending i mean those credits whatever it may be or waving in an annual fee or whatever it may be they just have a knack for doing that kind of stuff and and that does resonate with consumers in, in tough times like these for sure yeah like i said they've just been really and they were focusing on the millennial group um that's kind of the streaming uh credit is i think would i think that's kind of to replace the uber credit if you remember amex rolled that out um, oh, yeah. people can't people can't use the uber credit for the most part right now <laughs> i actually used mine this month oh really <laughs> for, yeah, I was I was up your way um, in in um, in Maryland, and I actually uh, used my Uber credit for the first time this year. Was that when you but were out there gambling with Dan Klein? I was not. Dan Klein was, <laughs> was nowhere to be found. Um, we we um, my my wife has a sister that's twenty years younger and just got her driver's license, and we, oh, got, wow. we helped get up there get a car, and I had to drive it up there. She lives up up that way. Man, so oh man. Um, I was up there, and then I had to Uber back to the airport, so <laughs> I got to use my Uber credit. But anyway, this, so the the streaming credit was really to replace that um, for for millennials, and they're doing a great job of just kind of thinking outside the box. Like like I said, a lot of other credit card issuers are you know boosting their grocery reward rate from two percent to three percent or something like that. But you know, a benefit like okay, get a streaming service, it's on us. Um, that's something that's really outside the box that I think will 
that really resonates with the the younger generation, especially who doesn't really think of term in terms of of cash back. They want perks. That's what you're paying for. You know, I'm not paying you know five hundred dollars a year for my platinum card for the for the cash back rate. I'm pay, I'm paying for the the benefits that come with it that I'm currently not able to use. Um, so they're they're really doing a great job of still creating a value proposition for their credit cards, and I think that's really going to pay dividends over this year. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, well, this morning, Ameris Bank Corp also uh, released their second quarter earnings uh, report. And, um, you know, Ameris, that, that just small little Georgia bank, right? It, it was based out of Moultrie. I think they're based out of Atlanta now with the, with the Fidelity acquisition um, being all, all taken care of. But um, a small cap bank that has done... I, you know, I think a really good job, particularly in a very difficult time. I mean, we've talked a lot about the challenges with bigger banks in this in this interest rate environment. Um, you know, frankly, smaller banks, I think it's even it's an even steeper uphill climb because they're smaller and they don't have necessarily the same resources. Um, but when you look at at Ameris, what they continue to do, uh, total assets up. Just a skosh under twenty billion dollars now. Total deposits of fifteen point six billion dollars. That was up from fourteen billion dollars at the end of two thousand and nineteen. Uh, it's important to note, and we, and we talk about this every quarter because it really matters, particularly these days. Um, you know, net interest margin actually expanded for I saw that. for the quarter. Yeah, it's like thirteen basis points. I mean, maybe I, I think expanding anything in this environment is probably worth writing home to. It. Yeah, but I, I think. You know, it's important for them to know that part of the fidelity acquisition, part of their part of their philosophy, is trying to make sure that that non-interest bearing deposits, you know, continue to be a substantial portion of of their deposit base. Right? That's that's that brings the expenses on those deposits down. Right? That the non-interest bearing deposits made up thirty six percent of total deposits this quarter. That's down from thirty percent. Uh, or I mean that that's up thirty percent from a, a year ago. So I mean, you know that 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 is a way to really uh, help combat uh, the difficult interest rate environment where you're not really making much on on uh, you know the, the the money that you're lending out. Yeah, you'll you'll really see that come into play when when interest rates start to rise again. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, right. that, that, you know, if if they're still you know they're essentially borrowing money at zero percent if in a non-interest bearing deposit. And then, as they as the amount they can make from loans goes up and up and up, the spread will just that the non interest bearing deposits really make a great profit spread. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, you know, we talked about it with American Express and with with all of the other banks. I mean, we talking about these credit losses, these reserves that banks are putting forth to to try to deal with this. I mean, Ameris has got a, they've had a lot of the paycheck uh, protection plan lending going on. Um, I mean, you know, that has its puts and takes. It's not like it's something profitable. Uh, endeavor, but I mean, they're being a part of the solution, right? And and that really is something where you know, if you're a bank that's being seen as a part of the solution, you typically can emerge from a situation like this being a little bit stronger. But when you look at the the reserves that they're that they're putting aside for potential losses, I mean, they they uh, recorded another eighty eight point two million dollars this quarter compared to. 41 million just in the in the first quarter. So if if all in total, if you look at 130 million or so that they put aside so far, that's about 0.65% of their total assets. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is cuz I thought it would be interesting to take a look at a big bank and say, "Okay, well, what, you know, what 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 kind of percentage of those total assets does it look like for Wells Fargo?" Um, you know, they they total 
about $20 billion right now in reserves for the year. And that's about 1% of their total assets. So, yeah, I mean, Wells Fargo, obviously a big bank, tremendous balance sheet, lots of assets. But, you know, that that's a company that's had a little bit of a, a tough tough time here and, and some self-inflicted injuries. And and they've they've had to reserve a good bit more. So, it seems like, you know, Maris's ratios, efficiency, all that stuff, they, they continue to run a tight ship. And, and uh, that, for me, I think is really, really encouraging for shareholders. The thing that stood out to me, though, Matt, in the call, <clears throat> and, you know, they just got done with this Fidelity acquisition. That was about $750 million acquisition. Um, but given given the conditions in the banking space today, some of the valuations that are out there, you know, it could be argued there probably are some opportunities. And the the questions of mergers and acquisitions were brought up on the call, and it, it sounds really like the Ameris team is ready to get back to it. Um, and, and they are looking, generally speaking, in that same geographical area. But I was really impressed with the target. They were say, they were saying that they they can expect a deal from anywhere of two and a half billion dollars in in up. Which I mean, really, you know, the fidelity that that was a big deal for them. So you're talking about with with something they're targeting now being considerably larger than that deal. I mean, while a bank's kind of trying to bide its time here in this is low interest rate environment, we forget sometimes they can grow via acquisition. It sounds like that might be uh, you know, on the horizon here for Ameris and, and they have a good a good track record of, of uh, you know doing good deals to this point. So I you know, I don't know. Cautiously optimistic I I guess. Yeah, I mean I, I thought Ameris Ameris's quarter was Pretty impressive. Their their mortgage business, especially, was really was one that really stood out to me. Yeah, um, mortgage business up seventy million dollars quarter over quarter. Um, you know, people are really taking advantage of the low mortgage rates and got to. Uh, got yeah, to. I, 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 for a small bank, that's an impressive impressive number. It is, yeah, and it sounds like it sounds like they may be getting bigger sooner or later. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on it, and um, and and you know, continue to cover it here on the show. Uh, okay, Matt, before we wrap it up this week, let's jump into earnings season here and give our listeners a stock that we'll be watching this coming week. What is a stock that you'll be watching? Um, I am watching Markel. That's one that I mention a lot. That's the position I've added the most to during this the pandemic. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you that much. Um, I'm watching their insurance profitability. We mentioned before on the show that we we really don't know what the pandemic is going to do to insurance insurers in general. Um, Markel was unprofitable insurance-wise last quarter. Um, their investment portfolio didn't do particularly well. So I'm keeping an eye on Markel's earnings. Um, the stock's run up pretty good lately. Um, I'm watching for signs that that valuation is justified, and I'm you know crossing my fingers and hoping that it is. So, yeah, yeah. What are yeah, you watching? One I own too, and I like it a lot. I'll keep an eye on that one, but I'm going to watch out for another one that I own, Mastercard. Um, ticker is MA. Earnings are out on Thursday for Mastercard this week. Busy week, and uh, Thursday is is the day for Mastercard. Really, you know, I'm just kind of based on what we were talking about with American Express and all these banks. I'm interested to see how the big dogs in the payment space are really handling what's going on because you know mastercard and visa we talk about it all the time not banks right they're not lending the money a little bit of a different business model there so their exposure is certainly uh, tied more directly you know to consumer spending um but you know that's it's really attractive high margin business models I'll just be interested to see 
what they're seeing. Yeah. What their what their experience has been these these last several months and kind of, you know, see if they have any any ideas of how the rest of the year is shaking out. But uh, you know, you know, another one that we we like here and uh one that I own and will continue to own because hey, Matt, you know, that that war on cash is real. It's real, man. <laughs> For sure. That's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. You can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. We always love hearing from you. Matt, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule this week to join us as always. Glad to hear you had a nice birthday. And uh, hey, let's let's make this the best year yet. How about that? Uh, I hope so. Well, <laughs> As soon as 2020 is over, it's it's going to get better. For, I think 2021 might be my best year yet. I don't want to call 2020 my best year yet. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll just continue to check in that, week by that's, week. And that's see not how setting the bar very high. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, we look forward to catching you next week. All righty. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. A big thanks to Tim Sparks for making all of this happen for us each and every week. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.